But the thing about uh, the Oregon coast that we have also, not just the ocean, but we have sand. And as yesterday, how many of you ever go to the beach? Um, for our friends in Oklahoma, the beach is a place where there's ocean, sand, there's connection, there's, there's trees, there's mountains. It's not just flat land. Um, but how many of you go to the coast and you don't actually go on the beach? You just, you just go there. You drive there. And so yesterday, my wife and I drove to the coast and we, we did go to the bay. We went to Depot Bay and we were, we were watching the whales, watching boats. It was a beautiful day, but we never stepped foot on the sand. It was our plan to step foot on the sand. We, were, we sat down to eat at early dinner and the power went out in the entire city. And so we decided to drive home. We had nothing to eat and we were starving. And we didn't get to step foot on the sand, and I actually wanted to yesterday because of this message series today. And so when you're walking on the sand, whether it's in the desert, whether it's on the ocean, or wherever you find yourself in sand, it's interesting to just pick up just one small grain, just a grain of sand, and then compare that to the entirety of the beach that you are on. Now, I think the longest beach um, in our area is like probably like five to seven miles long, or if you go up to Long Beach, Washington, I think it's like 20 miles long. But beaches are limited, and there's, o- there's only so many beaches on planet Earth with so much sand. But if you compare just that one grain of sand to the entire beach that you were on, that little tiny speck of sand seems and looks so insignificant to compare it to the entire beach. And then just think that In the ocean is much, much, much more sand, and this one tiny piece of sand barely gets represented in all the sands of the earth. And we talk about this idea of like looking for a needle in a haystack, but imagine if you were looking for one grain of sand, an entire beach of sand, or an entire world of beaches of sand, it would be almost impossible. But yet somehow each one of those grains of sand somehow matters, and it adds to this grand scheme of the beach. There wouldn't be a beach without sand. And I want to talk to you today about, uh, we could call it a couple things. We could call it eternity. We could call it um, forever. We could call it everlasting. But this idea of eternal life, everlasting life, forever life, uh, if you will. And and just kind of jumping ahead just a little bit to next week, I I just want to encourage you that what you're doing now may seem insignificant. The way you live your life now may seem insignificant. You may seem as if you are just one grain of sand amongst trillions of grains of sand in the ocean or on the beach, but you're making an impact, you're making a difference, and what you do now matters for eternity. What you do now matters for the future. And as we were driving by the beach yesterday, I had this this thought kind of overwhelm me that we need to live today with forever in mind. And so as we're going through these next couple of weeks, if we could just hold on to that idea to live today with forever in mind, but on the flip side, live forever with today in mind. Because if we're not living forever with today in mind, we might miss out on what God has for us right here, right now, in this day, in this moment, in this minute, in this part of our forever. So each part of forever matters, the now and what you have yet to experience. And so the phrase that this is reflective of is this phrase, you only live once. As I was thinking of that phrase, you only live once, I never actually stopped to consider that the cheesier version of that phrase, which is just simply, um, 
YOLO. You only live once. And you only live once is a phrase used to describe the need to live your life to the fullest. So I have a definition of YOLO for you. YOLO is to live your life to the fullest because you only get one life, right? You only get one life and then you die. And so YOLO, you only live once. And to some level, I'm all for what I'll call this YOLO lifestyle. I'm all for this you only live once attitude because, yeah, heck yeah, let's live life to the fullest. Uh, Jump off that rock into that shallow creek. Stand at the edge of the cliff, climb the mountain, swim in the glacial lake, take the trip, ask her out, ride the motorcycle, chase the dream. Like some of you are all about that that YOLO life. Like this is what I want to live my life for, is to make my life be a life that is lived to the fullest. And while, while I agree with that to a point, the idea of you only live life once is actually skewed because we do only live once. But though we're born once and we die once, we never actually stop living. And I'll say that again because this, this could transform how you see that, that beach scene. Though you are born once and you die once, you, ever, you never actually stop living. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Solomon writes, and I'll paraphrase, he says, God has put eternity in the hearts of of men. And so whether you are a person of faith, whether you believe in God, trust the Bible, yes or no, atheist, agnostic, believer, multiple faiths, whatever your place in life, the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And so I believe that to some existential level, people have this view or understanding of never actually ceasing to exist. We never actually stop living. So you don't really only live once with an implied end. You actually live forever. Here's another way to put this. From the moment you were conceived, you exist. From the moment you were conceived, you exist. Now, Christianity does not teach that we existed before we were born, before we were conceived. We, we weren't like spirit babies levitating through the heavens. But at the moment that we were conceived, from that moment we existed and we started to live for eternity. You don't just live once, you actually live forever. And so if you compare this you-only-live-forever attitude to a you-only-live-once attitude, what the YOLO attitude, the you-only-live-once attitude says is you should embrace doing whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want, without thought or concern for consequences, how it affects others, judgment, eternity, or the Almighty God, who gave you your life and has ways that he expects you to live it. And so that, that is the downfall of this you only live once attitude. It's just, I'll just do whatever I want. It doesn't matter how it affects me or other people, and I won't take into consideration the consequences. But in 2020, we actually saw the you only live once attitude take a very unexpected turn. 
So not only does this lifestyle say do whatever you want because you're going to die one day, but because so many people believe that you only live once, you die, and then you cease to exist, when they were faced with the reality of death and COVID-19, uh, many people reacted not with a live-it-up attitude, but actually with an attitude of fear. And the way that the you-only-live-once attitude expressed itself uniquely during this season of pandemic was this idea that if this is the only life we have, and if life ends, and if COVID-19 or whatever disease or whatever pandemic, if this pandemic could end my life early, then I need to do whatever it takes to prolong my life, even if that means not living at all. So we, we've seen both. We've seen people embrace this YOLO attitude in the fact of, we'll just live it up and do whatever we want, or in fear, because we only live once, we, we need to prolong our life no matter what the cost, even if that means never actually living. So YOLO, you only live once, it has this idea of live life to the fullest regardless of the consequences. Live life in fear to prolong our life is the other choice. But neither attitude is an attitude that we should actually possess. Neither attitude is an attitude we should actually have because if we truly live forever, which the Bible tells us we do, if we truly live forever, we ought to live this forever life in what Jesus calls fullness, in what Jesus calls abundance. And so John 10.10, 10, it's a verse we often quote, but it says that the thief, that's the devil, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Jesus says, but I came that you might have life. And life, some translations say to the full. Some English translations say life abundantly. And so if Jesus came to give us life, a forever life, he wants us to live a life of fullness and abundance. And so we shouldn't have a you only live once attitude of fear or just simply live it up. But instead, we ought to have a you only live forever attitude which would describe living our forever life in abundance. And here's how we ought to live our forever life in abundance. And I think you actually put some of these things here on the screen. Living a you-only-live-forever attitude, it describes living your life in abundance by glorifying God, by serving God and honoring God to the fullest, by discovering and fulfilling your purpose to the fullest by loving and serving others to the fullest, and by experiencing joy to the fullest. Now, notice I I didn't put on these notes, I didn't say the number one goal is to experience joy to the fullest, because in order to experience joy to the fullest, we must glorify God to the fullest. In order to experience joy to the fullest, we must serve and love others to the fullest. In order to experience joy to the fullest, we must actually find our purpose to the fullest, And while we are living out this abundant life, we must make decisions through the lens of eternity. And so this you only live forever life, here's what it results in. A you only live forever life, it results in what Jesus calls abundance, fullness, effectiveness, joy, and it ultimately results in relationship, relationship with God and relationship with others. Where a you only live once attitude results in a state of death, 
void of true life, empty, in darkness, fearful, alone, and without hope. And the result of both lives, the you only live once life, and the result of the you only live forever life, the result of both lives are also their destination. And so our forever life has a destination. Our forever life has a state of existence. It has a place, if you will, that you will be spending it. And so the question I would like to ask you as we just are opening this idea up this week is where and how will you spend your life? Where and how will you spend your life specifically after death? Oftentimes people say, is there life after death? Sometimes as Christians we'll say, right now we are living this life, but one day we will be living that life, talking about a life eternal. But as Christians, if you actually stop and think about it, we don't actually believe that you live a life now and then you live a life in the future. As Christians, what we actually believe is that there's just life. There is life from the moment of conception until the moment of forever. And how and where will we live that life following the death of our physical bodies? So what happens, this is another way we look at this, what happens when our physical bodies die? What, what happens to someone when they inevitably die? And what is death and why do we die? And if we live forever, what, what's death? Well, here's what the Bible says about death in Romans 6.23. Paul says this, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. The, the judgment, the wrath of God for our sins is death. Because we sin, when we remove ourselves from the God of life, only what the Bible says, death remains. And so we die because of sin. But, but death and death alone is, is even a skewed misunderstanding because God told Adam and Eve in the garden that when you eat the fruit of the tree of the good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But the moment that they ate of it, they actually still lived. They didn't drop dead. Have you noticed that? That Adam and Eve didn't die when they took a bite? It's that they began to die relationally. They began to die spiritually. Death is not just the um, ceasing of the existence of your physical body, but death is a break, a breach in relationship between you and God. It's stepping into a state of ultimately being alone. So death is a separation from the giver of life. It's a death of relationship. It's a decline of the soul. It's a loss of your mortal body. And then the Bible tells us that after we die, something happens, that that our body dies, but the soul lives forever. So after our death, something happens. After death, the Bible says, comes judgment. Hebrews, the New Testament, chapter 9, verse 27, the writer of Hebrews, as God leads them to write, says, Just as it's appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. And all sorts of human-created religions have their own ideas about what judgment looks like, but the Bible, the Bible written to us from God, by God, for us in relationship with him, says one day you'll die, and after you die, you will be judged. Judged. Your souls will be judged according to 
whether or not you're a sinner. And if the wages of sin is death, and if sinners die, and if sinners are judged, you might say, well, pastor, am I a sinner? And the answer is, yeah, you and I both are sinners, and we're going to be judged for our sin. And so after you're judged, what what actually happens after you're judged? And we have these cartoon-type ideas of what this judgment will look like, and we'll draw like pearly gates that people enter into, and they'll talk to the apostle Peter, and Peter lets them in, and it's like this is not what the Bible actually says. And so what happens when we die? And I just want to diverge a little bit and have just like a real brief Old Testament Bible study to look at like what did people before Jesus think happened when they died? Well, in the Old Testament, before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to atone for sin, the, the Hebrew people and the scriptures taught and we believe that the souls of the dead went to this mysterious place called Sheol. Have you ever heard of that before? It talks about it in Psalms a lot. And, and, and Sheol was this essentially temporary holding place for the souls of the dead. And if you read through the Old Testament, it looks like this place, Sheol, to some level, it's, it's in the heart of the earth. And whatever that means for the soul, I don't know, but that's how it's described. And the two places within Sheol, there's these strange names of the places within Sheol. One place is called Hades. And some of you know that from, from Greek mythology, Hades. The other place has a stranger name. It was called Abraham's Bosom. Just this implication of those who have faith would be kind of nurtured or held at the father of their faith's chest and embraced. Temporary holding places for the soul. And the scriptures describe specifically Jesus in Luke 16. He describes Abraham's bosom as a place of conscious comfort. A place of conscious mercy for the soul. For those who put their faith in God waited for Christ to come and atone for their sins. So that means before Jesus, when people who put their faith in God, like Abraham, put their faith in God, they were held as they waited for someone to come and forgive them of their sins. Where Hades, this Old Testament understanding of Hades is that Hades was and still is a place of conscious torment. It's a place of conscious anguish and flame for the soul. And those who are in Hades, both then and now, it is a place where they are waiting, places for people who did not put their faith in God before Christ, who have not put their faith in Christ following his appearing, where they right now are currently waiting for the resurrection and final judgment where they will be thrown into what Revelation 20 says is the lake of fire. So when we talk about this idea of hell, we're actually talking about this Old Testament, Jesus, Luke 16 concept of this place called Hades. But the final resting place for the devil, the final resting place for the devil's angels is what we call hell. That's the lake of fire. And again, we learn these things from a couple vague passages of the Old Testament, from Jewish tradition, from Jewish writing, but specifically as Jesus tells this parable in Luke 16 about a rich man and Lazarus. I'd encourage you to read it as you leave today. We don't have time to today. 
But the reason I went into it is I want to talk about what happens now, what happens now when we die. And what happened to those who were in Abraham's bosom when Jesus died for their sins, when Jesus rose again? Well, to make a long story short, they immediately gained access to God. Because Jesus descended into Sheol, and he ushered those waiting for him into a place called paradise. And so when we as Christians, when we say one day we'll go to heaven, that that is true, but essentially the place we go when we die, Jesus himself calls it paradise, to be ushered immediately into the presence of God. Jesus says in Luke 23, as he hangs on the cross, and there is a man that is next to him who has put faith in him, and Jesus looked at him and he said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's possible the thief on the cross was the first person to ever enter into the presence of God in this manner, to enter into paradise. And so in Psalms 116, David writes this, he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And many of you have never experienced death of a loved one before, but for those of you who have, or specifically the death of a loved one who loved and served Jesus, oftentimes in the presence of a death like that, there is a surreal sense of peace that cannot be described. Because it's honoring to God when someone who has put their faith in Jesus, when their life ends and he comes and rescues their soul and brings them into paradise. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body as a Christian is to be present with the Lord. And oftentimes we try to imagine what paradise will be like. We try to imagine what we think of of heaven will be like when we die. But the most important thing about heaven, the most important thing about paradise is what Jesus said about paradise. Today you will be with me. So what's paradise like? I don't know, but Jesus is going to be there. Paradise is where Jesus is. When those who love Jesus die, they're ushered into the presence of God in paradise. And in his presence in paradise right now, saints, Christians, brothers and sisters in Jesus who have died since the resurrection of Jesus until now, Right now, they are waiting for the return of Jesus to the earth. Right now, they are waiting for the resurrection of the dead. Right now, they are waiting for the judgment of the just and the unjust. Right now, they're waiting for their resurrected bodies. And right now, saints in heaven and paradise are waiting for the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And when Jesus does return, and when Jesus does make all things new, And when Jesus restores all things, when Jesus gives to those who have put faith in him new resurrected bodies, they'll continue their forever life with him in this new heaven, in this new earth. Look at what Jesus said about his second coming. John chapter 5, verse 28 through 29. He says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Oftentimes within the church, within Christianity, we only talk about the resurrection of those who have put their trust in Jesus, but the Bible says explicitly several times that everyone will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected from paradise, and some will be resurrected from Hades. But regardless of that, all who will be resurrected will be judged. So we're judged when we die, and we're judged at the resurrection. And those who are faithful to Christ at the judgment, at the resurrection, will be rewarded with forever resurrected life with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. Those who are resurrected who do not know Christ, who rejected Christ, they will be resurrected to judgment. Resurrected life in the lake of fire, tormented apart from God, in wrath forever. You only live forever. There are seasons of forever, and ultimately we choose the final season of forever where we live and how we'll live. Here's the seasons. Once you are conceived, you exist forever. Part of your lives take place right now in this body. How many of you, you're just so thankful for your body? As you get older, that body starts to wear out a little bit more. But part of the season of life is to live in this body. Part of your forever life involves dying. But you will continue to live and then be judged. Part of your forever life, it's those who are in Christ, will live part of their lives in comfort in paradise, and those who are not in Christ, part of their lives in Hades. Part of your life will involve the resurrection of your body to a body that's unperishable. And at this season of your life, you'll experience final judgment. Again, those who are in Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. Those who are not in Christ in the lake of fire. And the part of your forever life that you are living in right now will seem smaller than one grain of sand on an endless beach. That's why we talked about that. This season now matters so much, but it will seem so tiny in the grand scheme of forever. So if you only live forever, how will you live it? And now that you know that you only live forever, how will you tell it? Who will you tell about the destination of their forever life? A lot of times we'll, we'll interact with people who are not in Christ, who don't know Jesus, and we'll say things like, I don't want to tell them about Jesus. I don't want to tell them about their eternal forever state because I don't want to offend them. But, it, but if we're being real, we've got to understand that we should rather offend people in this life as we're living it now than to have them be offended with us that we didn't tell them of what the forever life looks like. And that's what Luke 16 and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is all about. The rich man was in Hades. And he begged God to send someone back to tell his friends and relatives of what the forever life 
was like. And in the parable, it's, it's Abraham who speaks from Abraham's bosom, and he says, they didn't believe the law, they didn't believe the prophets. Why would they believe someone if they resurrected from the dead? And that is a little glimpse into what would happen with Christ. Someone did resurrect from the dead. His name was Jesus. And Jesus tells us explicitly of our forever state, both with him and apart from him. And the Bible says it's not God's desire that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. It's God's desire, the Bible says, that all would be saved. And so you might say, well, this is a hell, fire, and brimstone message. No, it's, it's an invitation to life with Christ. It's an invitation to life with Jesus. And even if there was no hell, which there is, we should still want to live forever with Christ because a life forever with Christ is better than a life forever without him. It's better than a life that ceases to exist. And it's certainly better than a life in the lake of fire. Start living your forever life right now in abundance. Eternity is now. You won't have life after death someday. You're you're living that life now to glorify God, serve God, honor God, discover and fulfill your purpose to the fullest, love and serve others to the fullest, experience joy to the fullest. Look at your life through the lens of forever. Bottom line is this, Jesus says, John 14, and I'll call our worship team up to close us in a time of worship and prayer. If you could close your eyes, bow your heads to eliminate distraction for a moment. John 14, 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way. Well, what way is Jesus? He's the way to life. I am the way. The way to what? He's, he's the way to God. He's the way to purpose. He's the way to joy. He's the way to fulfillment. He's the way to relationship. He says, I am the way. Jesus says of himself, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. The truth sets us free. He says, I am the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Everlasting life, eternal life, forever life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he makes this bold statement. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if our life is forever, which it is, shouldn't we want to be with God forever? And Jesus gives us an invitation to that very thing. You can be with God forever through me because Jesus was and is God in the flesh. John 3.16, he uses similar language. He says of himself that God so loved the world, that's you and I, that he gave his son. That's Jesus. And Jesus says that whosoever believes in him, in the son of God, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't say, that those who do not believe in him 
will just cease to exist. They will too live forever, but apart from him. He says, when we do believe in him, he gives to us eternal life. A forever life of actually living. He said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, even though he talked about hell a lot, but that the world through him might be saved. So you're born once, you'll die once, and you'll never stop living. And because we're born once, because we die once, and because we never stop living, Here's the invitation. Die to yourself. Like Jesus said, be born again and start truly living. Truly living. We all live forever, but will we truly live? Will we truly live a life of abundance? So today of this two-week series, just this introduction, where will you spend forever And how will you spend it? Where will you spend forever and how will you spend it? And that is a salvation message. It is a call to put your trust in Christ. And it's an invitation to realize that today matters forever. And that's what we're going to look into next week. How to live your life. How to live today with forever in mind. But but for today to truly live today with forever in mind, you must put your hope and your faith in Jesus. Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from judgment. Saved from shame. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's something to be saved from. And it's to be saved from a forever life without God. And to be saved and free to have a forever life with Christ. In paradise. In a new heaven. In a new earth where Jesus is. And wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. I want to be where he is. I want to be where the giver of life is. I don't want to be removed from him. So if you'd say today, I I don't know Jesus. I have never put my trust in him. I've never put my faith in him, but I, I want relationship with God. I want to spend my forever life with God. I want to spend my forever life in paradise with Jesus. I, when I'm raised one day from the dead, I want to spend my forever life with him in a new heaven and a new earth. That can be yours. It's a free gift. It's, it's grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is what? It's eternal life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can have eternal life abundant, forever, full life with Christ. You don't have to bear the wages for your sins because Jesus bore them for you. He died for you. 
He died for your sin so your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled to relationship with him and you could be given life. And that life is just a step of faith away. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, I thank you for your life. Jesus, I follow you. I I give you and surrender my life so that I can live yours. That's, That's what he asks. He asks for submission, for trust, for faith. Because it's by grace we have been saved through faith. Put your faith in Christ. And if you're doing that today, if you could let us know there's some paper connection cards in front of you. You just want to let us know, hey, today I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus for the first time. We'd love to just shoot you an email cheering you on, pray for you. Or maybe you say, hey, I, I, I know Jesus. I, I've been living my forever life with him, but I've strayed and I want to recommit my life to Jesus. We'd love to know that too. If you let us know that on that card or if you're watching online on our digital connect card, you can let us know if you've recommitted your life to Christ or given your life to him. We'd love to celebrate. We'd love to know. For those of you who are like, hey, I, I'm in, I'm committed to Jesus, but I really have not been living today with forever in mind. I'm so consumed with the worries of this day that I've forgotten about the hope I have in Christ. I just want to pray this prayer over you and ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing as I pray. But I want to pray that God would give you hope for a future, that you wouldn't be so consumed with today that you miss out on forever. God, thank you for forever life. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not um, consign us to an eternity of death, but you desired that we would exist forever. Thank you for your love that calls us to relationship. Thank you for your love that calls us to repentance. Thank you for your love that calls us to your grace. Thank you for your love that calls us to salvation from death in you. And Jesus, as we, as we dream and we have visions of forever, God, give us hope. Give us hope that the difficulties of today will seem like nothing in comparison to the blessings of forever. God, may we each finish this race, this, this part, this season of our forever lives with faith. God, as as we come to an end of this life as we know it, God, would we live to hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us finish this race well, because the race ahead is far greater. God, give us hope. God, give us a vision of forever, and let it impact how we live today. Lord, if anyone submitted their life to you today, I pray that it would not have been something out of fear of punishment, but instead out of desire to have relationship and forever with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.